0: a safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie and welcome to Walking with Freya. Hello friends, welcome back. I have such a great episode for you today. Marie Fraser is a self-confidence and reinvention coach and creator of Bounce Back After Breakup. She came onto the podcast to talk with me about raising her son, who is soon to be 24, and was diagnosed at one with cerebral palsy. We talked about the grief that comes from receiving a diagnosis, letting go of the expectations that we as parents have, and finding happiness in the new ones. Marie is a single parent and strongly emphasizes the importance of advocacy and self-care and suggests what she thinks are some of the best things that we as parents can do for ourselves. This conversation offers great advice from the mom of an older child who has been on the battlefield and come out victorious. But the journey is never over, of course, and Marie still worries about what will happen to her son and wonders how she can best support him there are plenty of gems of wisdom in this interview for parents new and old i had a lovely time talking with marie and i'm sure that you will enjoy this conversation as well but before we get to it i wanted to draw your attention to the show notes in your podcast app marie has offered to share a deep relaxation audio that she has recorded just follow the link in the show notes and you can get that download you have to sign up for her mailing list to get the download but she said that you can just unsubscribe once you download the audio or you could stick around for a few weeks and you might find that you really uh, relate to the content that she's sending out so give that a shot and you can also find a link in the show notes for her website which is mariefraser.com m-a-r-i-e-f-r-a-s-e-r.com On the topic of self-care, I would also love to remind you all about my writing journal, There is Joy to be Found Here. This is a guided journal designed specifically for parents and caregivers of children and adults with special, unique, diverse needs. A fellow mom recently wrote to me about the journal. She has found herself in a time of needing to go deeper and to process her experiences, and this journal is helping her with that. So I just wanted to share with you a little bit about what she said, names omitted, of course. She said, It's a really beautiful offering that you put into the world. It's beautifully thought out and honestly gut-wrenching. I realized recently how much of my feelings around my child that I've been repressing. It's all deep and intense, but having your writing prompts is helping me process. It took me a while to get to the journal, and the timing is perfect. And that, my friends, is exactly why I wrote the journal, because I know firsthand how easy it is to repress so many of these feelings and these experiences, because either they're too hard to think about or contemplate, or we just are forced to move on to the next point of action that we have to make. For me, writing is a crucial element, just a way to really connect with these experiences in a way that can be healing. And so we can move forward and find the joy that is here. (laughs) It's the title. So if you would like your own copy of There's Joy to be Found Here, you can visit the bookstore of my website at annfreaky.com backslash bookstore. That will also be in the show notes. And that is a-N-N-E-F-R-I-C-K-E dot com backslash bookstore. And you can get a hard copy sent to you or you can get a digital version and download a PDF. You can also go to Amazon and pay a ridiculous price for the book uh, because they charge so much for, pu- for uh, printing costs. But um, just you have options and that's probably Amazon Prime. And if money's not an issue and you want it tomorrow... Uh, maybe that's an option for you. So moving on, as always, please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. It's free. It's not like a magazine subscription or anything like that. It just shows, you know, the, <clears throat> the uh, higher ups in podcast land that there is interest in this podcast and people value it. And uh, leaving a rating and a review does that as well. So all of that lets them know that this is a valuable podcast and it has a place. Um, (laughs) So anyway, it's all about the algorithms and things that are beyond my comprehension. But moving on from that, I really, really, really enjoy this conversation. We had some good laughs and Marie is an excellent speaker and she's from London. So she has a great accent to listen to and just all around. It was just lovely, lovely to talk with her and to hear her wisdom. So enough of my rambling. Let's get into it. Thank you all for being here.
1: You know, it's one of my values is authenticity. So what you see is what you get. So I'm, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to pretend, you know, to hide behind something. This is what my life is. And if it helps other people, then that's more to the good.
0: Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, authenticity is a, is a big value of mine as well. So Marie, thank you for being here. And if you could just go ahead and introduce yourself uh, to the listeners and tell us a bit about who you are and the work that you do in the world. Oh,
1: okay. Well, hello everyone. Uh, I'm delighted to be here with Anne. Um, what I do, my work in the world is I work as a therapist and coach primarily with uh, women who are thinking about going through or can't get over a relationship breakup or divorce. And the reason that is my speciality is because I was married to a narcissist for 27 years, um, which was on reflection, quite traumatic. But um, when I talk about my uh, my son early, later, you'll probably understand why I stayed for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, what happened was that we, you know, I very luckily managed to eventually get away. I've been um, a single mom for the last 10 years and working with women who are experiencing similar difficulties is what um, really sort of sets me on fire because, um, if I can help anybody in any way out of their, um, hurt or not so positive life, then, um, I feel, you know, I suppose it's quite selfish, but it makes me feel good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Um, yeah, well, isn't that what they say? Like there's really no true altruism because, uh <laughs> you know, even the good that you do feels good. So you're still getting something out of it, but that's great. It's a win-win situation.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I invited you on this podcast because you uh, mentioned that you have a son uh, who is soon to be 24, but at one, he was diagnosed with uh, cerebral palsy. And I'm just wondering if you would mind talking about that, like how the, you know, especially that first year of his life. And when you got that diagnosis, if you were surprised by it, um, anything that stands out from that
1: time? Of course, of course. Um, Well, I already had an older child who was, when Rupert was born, he was just two. And so, you know, as far as I was concerned, I had two, you know, healthy, healthy boys. Um, Rupert was incredibly laid back and I put that down to the fact that I was a much more relaxed mum, because I'd also been, you know, I'd already had a baby. I was an older mum, I, you know, I was in my late 30s when I started to have my children. Um, so, uh, I had a very high powered corporate um job in the city of London you might be able to tell from my accent that I'm from (laughs) the UK and live in London and so with both boys I went straight back to work um I uh, I think they were three months old I stopped breastfeeding and then went straight back to work uh, that was my choice. Uh, I think as an older mom, I was um, very much defined by my job. I'd been doing it for, you know, a good, what, 10 to 12 years. So it was and it was something that I really, really loved. But, you know, by the, when I got into my sort of mid 30s, the clock was ticking. I, I don't know. It's quite funny. You just wake up one morning. You think, wow, that's it. I've got to get cracking um, and have my babies. Um, So yes, I was very lucky that my parents were close by, so my mum acted as my nanny, but the boys both went to a local nursery for, uh, more for socialising than anything else, and they thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, even the nursery um, nurses never really picked up uh, anything about Rupert, anything strange about him. And what I did notice was that he was very left-handed, um, which was, it never bothered me because my eldest son is very left-handed, my mother's left-handed and Rupert's paternal grandfather was left-handed. So we just thought, oh, another left-hander in the family. And, um, but he did have a lot of chest infections and we were hospitalized a few times um, because he had bronchiolitis. But again, nobody gave me any, you know, the medical people didn't give me any cause for alarm at all. And then on his first birthday, um, I'm sure it's the same um, in the US, you know, you have health visitors who, you know, come and check the weight and the progress, etc, etc. So I'd had the same health visitor with my first son and she was popping around to have a look, have a chat with me, have a check Rupert. And she just said to me, Marie, there's something not quite right here. And I got a bit antsy and said, well, what do you mean there's something not quite right? And she said, look, you need to go and see a paediatrician. So that this was actually on his first birthday. And um, so the following day, I, um, well, that day, actually, I rang the hospital and said, you know, I wanted to bring him in. I wanted to see the paediatrician. And it was some deed that I I never met before and he had the bedside manner of a bulldog and he just turned around to me and said well yes he's got cerebral palsy I mean I'd never he you know I'd never even heard of it I didn't know what it meant I didn't know whether it was life limiting I had absolutely no idea at all and um, I think for I don't really re- remember very much about that week to be honest with you it was just a complete and utter. Blur, and the boy's father worked away, so um, he wasn't there. He wasn't even in London when, uh, and I got this diagnosis. And I did go out of the hospital, which was in the center, right in the center of London, actually. And I sort of sat in the car, sort of thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know who to tell. I don't know what to say because I didn't. You know, when you have these sorts of diagnoses. Uh, I mean, if you sort of say, you know, I have cancer or something, people have heard of it and you sort of, um, but cerebral palsy is something that a lot of people don't really understand, especially 20, you know, all those 20 years ago, people didn't talk about disability. They weren't as open as they are now. And, um, so I did, I didn't even tell my mum and dad until I got back that evening and, um, you know, they, had, they, they, didn't, they couldn't help me at all. But, you know, thank God for the internet. Um, and also I was very lucky because I'm, at the time, um, I managed an American law firm in London and um, they were so fantastic. And we had a, a lot of connections with um, the uh, Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston and also at um, the, the, uh, the, the uh, teaching hospital in San Diego. So I was, um, you know, people were saying, oh, you know, just get on a plane, get on a plane. And I said, well, do you know, I just need to sort of process this information first of all. I mean, I, <laughs> I, found, you know, I, I, I knew it wasn't life limiting, so I could sort of breathe mm-hmm. a little. But, you know, cerebral palsy is a bin for neurological disorders. And what I learned is that you can't really understand what's going to happen until the child develops or you see what development, you know, is is going to happen. So, for example, all his chest infections that he kept getting, poor boy, was because he, he's got a, um, a syndrome called Worcester-Drake syndrome, which took me 10 years to get a diagnosis mm. because it's really very rare. And um, basically, he has no bite or no chew. So all the oromotor functions, that part of the brain is um, affected affects it you know that's not that part of the brain that's not working affects his oromoto um so you know there's no chew there's no bite so um also uh, he's got a sucking action which was okay um when he was a uh, when he was you know very tiny but what was happening because in his esophagus um you know we got that flap which you know as as soon as you take something into your mouth and it's you start to swallow, the flap closes the bronchial above the lungs. So whatever you're taking in goes into the stomach, but what would happen with Rupert sometimes it would go into his lungs Mm. and that's why he kept getting chest infections. But of course we didn't know that, um, at the time. So, um, no if you know it's it's something that's not going to improve and even at 24 his his food has to be a certain consistency um and also you can't leave him alone on his own with food or you know a uh, thin drink like um if you had some sort of squash because you know the the he it, it doesn't do it very often because he's a bit older now and he, he knows, um, you know, not to sort of put too much in his mouth. But, you know, there is always that risk of uh, risk of choking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, you know, as I said, that particular thing took 10 years. But also um, I wanted, you know, I just then got very, very hungry for information to try and understand how I could help him. Um, you know, going forward. So I did speak to a lovely doctor in San Diego, um, who funnily enough was doing research with a German doctor here in the UK. So I didn't have to take Rupert over to uh, San Diego. I, I actually took him to see the German doctor in the UK. And she sort of with all his MRIs and what have you that I already had. She said that his issue was definitely genetic, but you know, it was a sort of a one in goodness knows how many chances that you know uh, people get these particular uh, genetic defects. So yeah. you know, I mean, I'm sure everybody who is you know has gone through this, you grieve for the child that you thought you had. And it sounds awful because Rupert has taught me so much. And, you know, he is, you know, he brings joy to me and makes my heart sing. But in the yeah. early days, you do grieve for that child that you thought you had. It's a bit like going to, you know, it's a bit like booking a holiday, say, to, let me think in America. You might book a holiday down to Cancun, but end up in Belize. You you know, it's sort of, you have a very nice Mm -hmm. holiday, but it's not quite, (laughs) it's not (laughs) quite the same. Um, So, yeah, and basically, um, I tried, you know, in the early days, I mean, I'm I'm very much into complementary and alternative therapy. I try all sorts of things. I mean, really, iridology, cranial sacral, because, he had, mm-hmm. um, he had a fond tooth birth, so one eye was, you know, the, the structure of his skull was a bit off mm-hmm. and, and all sorts of things. I mean, so, you, so, so now, you know, when people say, you know, what are his issues um, or, you know, he presents as though he's had a stroke down his right side. So the left part of his brain is affected. And um, I mean, he's very mobile, but he, you know, he has a limp. Uh, he's not much, um, any motor skills and not, uh, not good dexterity on, with his right arm, mm-hmm. but and he's totally deaf in his right ear. And, but the biggest disability that he has is because of the Worcester drought, he has no speech articulation so it you, you really can't tell what he's saying, and of of um, but Then coupled with that, it's exacerbated by the fact that cognitively he is not a twenty four year old. You know he can, he can sometimes uh, present as a, you know a, a five year old. Mm. Um. So yeah, I mean it creates all sorts of. Um, problems for him he's at the moment he well he has been for a couple of years now very much aware that he has he's different because nobody can understand him So that creates an immense frustration for him. I mean, it's, you know, you imagine going to a foreign country and they don't speak English and you're Mm -hmm. trying to (laughs) communicate. It is frustrating. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, his behavior has been challenging in the past because of that frustration. But, um, you know, he's getting he's getting much better about it. And, you know, like he just wants to be like everybody else. And he does get sad because he knows he's not like his peers. Um, I mean, he's now in a special. He has been. What happened when he was first starting school? Because I didn't know how he was going to develop. I insisted that he went to mainstream school. I didn't want him to go to um, a special needs school. Um, I just, I've always had this sort of idea that if I play tennis with someone better than me, I'm going to up my game. <laughs> so I sort of put that analogy over to Rupert and schooling. And for the first couple of years, it was absolutely fine. But what I didn't, you know, I, what I didn't consider was just how quickly children grow from about the age of seven. I mean, they just, you know, um, poor Rupert just could not keep up. So he had quite a lot of isolation. I mean, they were very kind with him. There was absolutely no bullying at all. And I think it was really nice for for the school that Rupert was there because it it actually did teach the kids that, you know, not everybody uh, can do what they can do. So it gave, you know, it taught them patience and what have you and that people are different. But um, I knew that the next school would have to be a special school that could actually cater for his needs. Uh, And that's what happened. Although I don't know what it's like in the US, but here is incredibly difficult to, you know, it's a real battle. They just don't, uh, the authorities here just don't say, oh, yes, off you go, uh, because these schools are incredibly expensive. Um yeah it's I, it's I can go on forever I'm sorry you have to shut me up
0: no you're doing great it's uh, <laughs> you're doing fantastic I appreciate um Everything that you're saying, I mean, there's so much. Uh, you know, I'm just like scribbling down notes. You know, I just going back to like that moment of getting the diagnosis, and and I think so. Like you said, so many parents do experience that that you get this diagnosis, and and you just you don't even know what that means. Like these words mm. that you've that you that you don't know, or that you've just heard. You know, a week before or, or whatever, and uh, and then how you know that that grieving that we do because, and and I think that's true. I I think it's totally fine to say that, that we do grieve because we, you know, we're, we have these expectations. And then when you get a certain diagnosis, you know, you have to kind of readjust. And there is a famous, um, I don't know if it's a poem or a story, but uh, it was another parent of a kid with special needs who made some kind of analogy about like, you know, moving going to Holland like you know planning. yes it is it's a
1: story yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's okay. what I was trying to re- relate to when I was sort of, <laughs> of saying you know going to Cancun or Belize yeah, yeah. right yeah absolutely <laughs> but it is a wonderful story that because it actually uh is a great way of explaining um you know to someone um about the situation and then you know of course now as um as, R- as Rupert is older um you know my worry is you know how is he going to be looked after when i'm not here
0: (laughs) right well and yeah and i wanted i wanted to get to that um in a minute but first i just kind of no 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 you're fine (laughs) if you don't mind backtracking just a little bit
1: no no not at all
0: um so you because the other element of your story is being married to this narcissist and having this um you know, this uh, not healthy relationship, and you're trying to help, you know, your son make his way through the world, and so I imagine that was, you know, kind of fighting two battles on one front, in a way. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, for sure, I mean, uh, you know, their father worked away every week, and so was only home at the weekends, but it was, um, you know, I mean, it was very much an absent father and, and an absent husband. And there was a lot of um, resentment on my part because it would also be, you know, it's like he would come home for a rest when actually I was the one that needed mm-hmm. a rest. <laughs> but I was, I, I mean, I was lucky that I did have my, uh, my mother who was, uh, you know, um, He was a great help. But yeah, it was very lonely and also doing all those uh, hospital appointments, which in the early days, even for about the first 10 years, there must have been two a week. And at the time we were living in the middle of the countryside in the UK and um, which was also a very big touristy area. And in the summer, it could take you twice as long to get um, where you needed to be, just because of the tourists. Mm. So I, I tended to, you know, I felt as I was permanently in the car, uh, driving here, there and everywhere. And then, you know, trying to run the house, trying to deal with schools and goodness knows whatever else. So, yeah, it was very, very tough. But I think, you know, like, I haven't met a special needs mother who hasn't actually, I don't know where we get our strength from. We're mm-hmm. just, um, I don't know. We just, we just carry on.
0: I mean, what's uh, the option? That, exactly.
1: <laughs> because, you know, at the end of the day, if you, if you don't do it, nobody else is going to. And you, you know, the mother bearing you comes out and, you know, this is my child. Okay, I'm going to do whatever uh whatever needs to whatever i need to to make whatever needs to happen happen i mean i you know i've always been a bit feisty and assertive especially with the jobs that i've had but my god nobody pushed me over with my son (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean i i I was arguing with doctors and goodness knows whatever Mm -hmm. you know i just it wasn't that i wasn't i was uh disrespectful it was just that if I, I if I didn't agree with something not necessarily on a medical front because obviously I'm not qualified to do that but you know so I can remember one of the pediatricians saying well you know he, because he had epilepsy hmm. but and he probably still has it but he didn't have full-blown seizures they were absences And with everything else that was going on, she wanted to start him on this medication. And I just said, well, you know, can we not just hold back and hang on? You know, I'm with him Mm 24-7. So, you know, if he has more than an absence... Then yes of course i'll come back but i mean i don't know whether any i'm sure if people have got children or they may have even have epilepsy themselves you know you don't you don't go on the the drug the dosage you have to sort of um take you know you have to build up to it and -hmm. then when you're on it you have to then if you're coming off of it you have to come off gradually i mean he eventually did go on to epilepsy medication but that was when he was about six or seven not you know 13 months because Mm -hmm. I just thought there was too much going on for him um, at the time so yeah that was you know those were sort of I don't know it was just my gut instinct I didn't think it was right for him to to be to be doing that you know at that time
0: yeah. Well, and you gotta, you gotta go with those. I mean, that's the one thing like, and I think um, it's easy, especially in the beginning, you know, cause, cause as a parent, you, you feel so lost and then you're, you meet with these doctors and you think, well, they must have all the answers. And then as you get, as you move on, you realize, well, and you know, especially if your child has, you know, a, a disorder that maybe isn't as well known. Um, you know, and even even the disorders that are well known, like the the needs and the skills are so diverse. And so you really are, you know, your child better than those doctors, they may know the textbook case. Mm. But, you know, as parents, we we know our children. So I think it's important for parents to to realize that they do they should have a voice and that their instinct um, is is valuable and and what they and they
1: should go with it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's quite interesting because, you know, we, every single one of us, whether we have a diverse problem or not, is a complete individual.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And even if you have two uh, people with cerebral palsy or Down syndrome or what have you, you know, the overlying thing is the same, but what, how that person presents and other issues and syndromes that come with it are as individual as they are. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no two, you know, it's a bit like, um, you know, I've got uh, several friends uh, who have autistic children. And, you know, it's, it's all it's like the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think cerebral palsy, there's a spectrum of cerebral palsy. You know, you can't just you you can't just say that because, you know, you could be, um, you know, so unlike Rupert that you're perhaps not mobile, but your cognition is absolutely spot on. Mm -hmm. You know, there are so many different things. So what I'm trying why I'm saying that is that, yes, the doctors will give you a broad brush of whatever uh the diagnosis has been but they don't know your child like you do Mm -hmm. and And you and they don't know they don't see them. they see they have this picture of them uh for 20 minutes in a in a uh, consultation you're you have a 24 7 picture of them yeah and
0: that's why we are their best advocates for sure so it's, a, it's Absolutely. a lot of pressure <laughs> a lot of pressure oh is my goodness I
1: <laughs> yeah I mean I spent the last 20 years advocating for Rupert mm-hmm. because yeah. it's it's very difficult you know for everything especially for uh, as I say education and um and you know therapies and things like that. It's, uh, it's, and what sort of really annoys me, especially here is that if you don't stand up and fight for it, you won't get it. It doesn't, it's not offered to you. It's not Mm -hmm. offered to, um, you know, it might be for a few, you know, they'll do quite a lot in the early years, you know, from sort of zero to five. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, once they start school they actually, you know, want to sort of, you know, take a lot of the therapies and uh, what have you away. This is in mainstream. I mean, it's a different kettle of fish if you're going to go or you're lucky enough to get into a special needs school. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like in the, in the U S it's, it's so,
0: it's so different. And I've heard a variety of stories and um, you know, I mean, I've, it's been kind of uh, off and on with Freya, like she's had some great advocates in her life in the, um, you know, in the professional realm of therapists and, and teachers. So uh, I feel like we've been really lucky and they've taught oh, me right. how to be a good advocate for her, but certainly there are things that I've had to really fight for. And um, especially with doctors and um, certain medications and dosa- dosages, things right. like that. So, you know, it's just really everybody's story is very different. Um but I, I wanted to ask you know as uh, as, as a single parent, um, mm-hmm. what strategies did you have to to help you cope? because um, I know you you're a life coach?
1: Yeah, I, I mean I did I did a lot of work on myself because um, when the um, when, when the the marriage ended, you know, I was absolutely spent, to be honest with you, emotionally. But um, one of the things that's really, really important, I, I, I wasn't spent as far as the children were concerned, I was spent as far as, I, as, uh, as myself, uh, you know, and my self-care, and that's what I, I would go on, I'd like to talk about, is mm-hmm. self-care is vital, it's not selfish, And um, I did, you know, when I had that little baby in my arms thinking, oh, my gosh, what is going to happen? You know, where are we going? And I did, you know, probably for about a month, I was just in a fog. And then I woke up one day and I thought, right, okay, I've got these two beautiful children. And if I fall down, nobody is going to be able to look after them like me. Mm. So that was sort of a real wake up call for me that I, you know, had to be on my game as much as possible. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not Superwoman, And especially with my relationship with their father, I had more downs than ups, but um, I just still had, you know, in the forefront of my mind that you know, my children needed me. And I also wanted to, especially for my older son, who, you know, understood what was going on. um, I wanted to um, be a role model for him. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want to be, um, you know, be seen as a mum that couldn't cope. I mean, I knew I could, but it was, it was hard, you know, it was, it was very difficult. But, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I'm a great advocate for self-care. So, you know, I was very lucky. I, you know, I've had holidays, always one holiday a year and well, two actually, very, very greedy. And (laughs) (laughs) and there's one where I would just go away with my girlfriends and it would just be a week of total nothing, you you know, just having fun and really recharging my batteries Mm-hmm. And um, another thing that um, really sort of soothes and calms me is getting out into nature. I just think when some, I don't know, have you had a, like forest bathing?
0: Um, yes, I live in the redwoods. Oh so... my
1: goodness, do you? Yes. Oh, there's something. Oh, <laughs> I'm very jealous. Um, I'm a real tree hugger, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's finding something to just soothe you and calm you and and even just to take your mind away from um the you know this worry and this advocacy never goes away it's with you for the rest of your life so well it is with me anyway because Rupert will, will not be able to be independent uh it's not like he's like my eldest son who's going to you know go off and make his own way in the world Rupert's never going to be able to do that unfortunately and whilst you know um I want him to lead as independent a life as possible it's not you know he's not going to want to live with his mother you know he what he's going to want to sort of go into I mean at the moment he's uh, we're quite lucky uh, in that he can finish his education at 25 so he will finish his education next year so at the moment he's at a residential college where he's having a very jolly time and it's not education like um I mean his education is life skills Mm -hmm. you know it's that sort of education but he's you know he's not going to be able to cook a meal safely or um you know he's going to need a lot of support so um you know, it's, it's, it's not a good idea that, he, you know, he comes back and lives with me. It's, that's not going to enhance his life at all. And um, so, you know, it's now there's sort of a time where I don't have to do as much advocacy at the moment. I mean, um, I had uh, a big court case last year to get him into this current college. So I've now had 12 months off, which is very nice, i.e. 12 months of worrying about what, you know, the next thing I have to do for him, which will come when he has to leave uh, where he is, you know, when he leaves his education, we then have to find the right place for him to be able to go and live as as an adult, you know, outside of education and make sure that they can accommodate his needs, that he has support. Uh, to be able to you know live an ind- as independent a life as possible you know maybe getting a job in a supermarket doing you know uh, sorting out the trolleys you know everybody needs a purpose in life mm-hmm. and um, you know mm-hmm. I d- the last thing that I want uh, for Rupert is to just sit you know in f- in front of a, a PC playing games or watching films you know there's lots, uh, I'd like him to be able to find something. I mean, he he loves the animals and what have you. There is a farm where he is at the moment. So, you know, maybe something like that where he can, you know, get stuck in with the animals and things. So that will be my next advocacy adventure next, mm-hmm. in about six months time.
0: <laughs> nice. So, so when you had, do you have these moments where, um, um, you know where it just all feels overwhelming and oh, you know, sure. mind spins yeah. and so how do you how do you get yourself out of it how do you help other parents uh, what do you recommend to what stop do i this recommend
1: bidding? i tell you what's what's the, been the best thing for me is i have made some fantastic friends uh girlfriends of the parents of the children young people that have been through the same um, places as Rupert. I don't know whether, you know, in your circle of friends, you have, um, you know, parents who, uh, from your friends who are parents of uh, diverse young people. But when you're going through what you're going through with all this lot, um, I mean, I can remember, this would sound really funny, I might not do, You know, my mum would say, is there anything I can do? Can I help you? No, no, it's fine, mum. Why don't you tell me what's going on? I said, honestly, mum, you don't want to know. And she said, no, no, go on. So I'd sort of give her a bit of a broad brush of it. And she'd just then say, well, that's not fair. How can they do that to poor Rupert? And I said, that's why I'm not telling you, mum, because these are things that happen every single day. There's yeah. no point you getting worked up about it because mm-hmm. I'm worked up enough myself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Yeah, and, and then her getting worked up just gets exactly, you more worked up. Yeah,
1: yep, and but, then everybody's you know, upset. <laughs> exactly, but you know, if you're if you talk to another parent who's walking that path, you know, they just sit and listen to you because they they know there's nothing they can say to make you feel better, but it's just having someone to offload the frustration you know, that you're actually going through at that particular moment. And also is being able to offer help and advice. If you've experienced what they're about to experience, you can share what you did or didn't do. So I think that's really, really helpful is to, you know, you don't have to be the best bosom buddies if it doesn't, you know, if if that doesn't float your boat. But I think it's really useful to... um, you know, to find people who are in a similar situation to you, you know, to pick their brains and, and, and you know, share your um, experiences too. I think we can all help one another. Um, and also, um, you know, I, I'm more likely to listen to somebody who has experienced what I'm going through than not.
0: Well, and I mean, you have so many important things to say. I think you know that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast was you know needing this community and needing to meet people and share not only share my own story but hear other stories. And there's that that sense of camaraderie and that you know you yeah, hear, and then you hear other people's stories and you're like, wow, okay, I'm not the only one doing this. And exactly, a I mean, okay, of yeah.
1: Can I just say this, which I think is really important? Um, While well, it's just fresh in my mind, you know, I mean. when you look at Rupert you know there's something wrong with him and um, what I used to get very angry um, about was the public would stare at him Mm. and I had no problem just saying to them you know what are you staring at (laughs) you know is there a problem you got a problem here and of course they just sort of go oh you know put the head down and sort of walk off but, you know, I think you just have to get used to that, uh, that sort of sort of behavior if, it, if it's, um, you know, I, I, I don't even notice it now, to be honest with you. It just, but in the early days, I used to get very upset about it. And also um, people can, I think they become sort of, they feel awkward because they don't know what to say.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and I I decided it wasn't my job to make them feel comfortable (laughs) wow (laughs) that's a
0: a great realization I'm from the midwest so I have like this need to make sure people are comfortable and everybody's happy and and everybody's nice so it's a it's a burden
1: (laughs) it is a burden because you know you we're not we're not in control or responsible for what other people think you know that's the that's the that's down to them and um so yeah I decided that I was it wasn't my job to make people feel comfortable if they were in the in Rupert's presence
0: mm-hmm. so, that was
1: for them to deal with
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah your plate was full
1: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly
0: <laughs> yeah well that's that's great advice for everybody out there well, I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm wondering if you want to let people know how to find you. I mean, if you're, if you're interested in that, I, I guess. I, yeah,
1: for sure. Okay. Um, I have a uh, website, which is MarieFraser.com and uh, that's F-R-A-S for sugar E-R, MarieFraser.com. I'm on Instagram as well. I do a lot of, uh, on Instagram, that's the only that's the only two places that you'll really find me. So you know, if anybody's out there, you know, struggling with um, you know early days like I, you know, like I was, I'm very happy to hop on a Zoom and you know just hear you out. If I can offer any any uh, help, I'm I'm more than you know willing to do that because I know how painful um, this really is in the early days. I mean. The pain gets lighter and, you know, but the worry is with you, unfortunately. And you're, we, need, we, as uh, parents of diverse children, we need strong liver and kidneys, but we've got big hearts.